0: And we are in this series that's a pretty challenging series. Brian rolled this out a couple weeks ago, and uh, I get the privilege of wrapping it up. I think I'm wrapping it up. No, I'm not. Leslie says no. Yeah, two more weeks. Okay, we got a couple breaks in there, don't we? Yeah. I get the privilege of teaching in it, that's for sure. Uh, But this series is called Nonsensical, um, and we're looking at portions of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount... And it seems like it's nonsense on the surface. And we, we say that because when we hear things like love your enemies, that feels like nonsense. Or when we hear something like go the extra mile. Or hey, turn the cheek. They slapped you? Yeah, just turn the other cheek. Just give me your coat also. That stuff sounds like nonsense. But what he's doing is he's describing what it looks like when we act in love at all times in all situations even in the ones that seem like nonsense. And the early followers of Jesus, the early church, they understood what this call was, and they took him seriously. As nonsense as it sounded, they took him seriously, and they leaned into it, and they committed their lives to this, even to death at times. So I want to remind you uh, of the good news that we've heard so far, week one. It says, although our first instinct is to respond to evil done to us with the same evil done to them, Jesus invites us to imagine a new way of being human that doesn't plot revenge but reflects God's generous love instead. Love creates ways to challenge evil without engaging in evil. So here's what Jesus said. You've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That sounds good, doesn't it? But I say to you, Jesus says, that you must not oppose those who want to hurt you. If people slap you on the right cheek, you must turn the left cheek to them as well. And when they, wish on, when they wish to haul you to court and take your shirt, let them have your coat too. And when they force you to go a mile, go mile two with them. It's nonsense. Like that's nonsense, right? Last week we heard this. When we retaliate against and resist those who interfere with our ideas or our desires, because we assume that violence solves problems, Jesus calls to sacrificial love that must override and, and restrain our instinct for retaliation. Since love means to good, to will good of another, we can't perpetrate violence against someone and love them at the same time. It's nonsense. Now here's what Jesus says. You've heard it said, you must love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That sounds good. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who harass you, so that you'll be acting as children of your Father who's in heaven. And He makes the sun rise on both the evil and the good, sends rain on both the righteous and the unrighteous. And if you love only those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, What more are you doing? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? So I want to build on this scripture and continue some good news out of the scripture. And here's the good news for today. We tend to justify doing anything to our enemies except love, which only does harm to them and to us. But loving our enemies is not just for them, it's for us. And nothing transforms me more than loving people that I don't like. Or who don't like me? Nonsense. Nonsensical. Sounds a little strange. Uh, several years ago, uh, there was a gentleman that didn't like me. I know that's hard to believe, right? He didn't like me. He had nothing good to say about me. Couldn't stand me. Every time I heard anything that came out of his mouth or that somebody repeated, it was bad. And this was several years ago. And at first, I thought I would just ignore it because. To my knowledge, I didn't do anything to this person, so I was just going to ignore it and go on with my life, except for we lived in the same community. It's kind of hard to do that. So I ran into this person everywhere, and what it began to feel like was he was against me. Like, I began to see this person. Every time I would see him, he seemed truly like my enemy. So one afternoon, I'm driving back from wading in the river, fishing, and I see a patrol car, and I see this gentleman sitting in the side of the patrol car doing a ride-along. And I knew what was about to happen. Woo, woo, All of a sudden, I was being pulled over. Now, granted, I was speeding, okay? But so was the car directly in front of me and directly behind me. I was trapped. I had to go that speed. <coughs> but here's what I was sus- suspecting because I made eye contact with this guy. And I I knew this is the reason I'm probably being pulled over. And it's funny, too, when we see our enemies, when we do something wrong, we typically want to blame them. Isn't that funny how that works? But I suspected this was probably why I got pulled over. So they got me pulled over. Uh, I had to sit in the passenger seat of the patrol car where he was sitting. And he got to go search my car. Fun for him. But I was soaking wet, so fun for me. So I just sat there, and I was... (laughs) I was a little excited that I was soaking wet from fishing, and this crossed my mind to empty every bit of water that I had drank that day (laughs) right into that seat. Came this close, this close to doing that. Now, you don't have thoughts about somebody like that that you care about, right? You have thoughts about somebody like that that's your enemy. You ever have an enemy? You ever feel like somebody is, like, opposing you, out to get you? They don't like you, even though you can't imagine, why would somebody not like me? They're out to get you their enemy. Or maybe you've never had that, but maybe you have somebody you can't stand. Maybe you have an enemy that way. Maybe you're somebody else's enemy. What do we do about that? You've heard that it was said, you must love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who harass you so that you will be acting as children of your Father who is in heaven. Love our enemy. Just say that. Love our enemy. Say that with me. Love our enemy. That doesn't even feel right to come out of our mouths. Love our enemy. Pray for them. We tend to justify doing anything to our enemy, including peeing in their seat, except love which only does harm to them, and that action would have done harm to me. But loving our enemies is not just for them. It's for us, and nothing transforms us more than loving people that I don't like or that don't like me. So I want to remind you of something that's getting done here that I have to be reminded of all the time because we constantly live in a state where when we get to Jesus' words and we see his words and his action. They don't make sense sometimes. And I need to be reminded that this is a new imagination that he's calling us into of what life looks like. No matter what the culture looked like back then and no matter what the culture looks like now, Jesus is calling us into something new. He's saying this is what it really looks like to live in the kingdom. And I need to be reminded of that all the time that when I'm seeing something different, i got to be reminded back to who am I following? What am I committed to? Who's my example? And Jesus has given us a new imagination of what this looks like—to love our enemy. And what, what he's saying in his words and what he's saying on the Sermon of the Mount is, this isn't optional. We can't just pretend that he didn't say this. We can't overlook it. We can't take him serious here and not take him serious here. We got to take him serious in all these things. So I need to be reminded: this is a new way of living. This is how he has designed it to be, and we're not going to get it perfect. And it's not about perfection. It's about surrender. Am I surrendering to his good news? Am I surrendering to follow him in every action in every area of my life? What does that look like for me? So Jesus' teaching in this day is weird. He says, this is what you think you know, and let me turn it on its head and tell you something else, that it, how it actually is. And his earlier followers were, were listening to this kind of like, wait a second. Aren't we the chosen? So it's like, Is Israel's the chosen people, right? Aren't we God's favorites? And you know what they had to wrestle with? This idea that God doesn't have favorites. He doesn't have favorites. We're not his favorites because we're Christians. Israel isn't chosen to be God's special people in the world, and the rest just kind of get to sit on the sidelines in darkness, and neither is we as Christians. Israel's chosen to be the light of the world the salt of the earth, to shine out God's goodness among people, and then we get to be the same. God is including everybody. So through Israel, through his people, he's chosen them to get this thing going to see what actually God is really like, that he's full of love, full of goodness, full of justice, maybe a new sort of justice, a creative healing, restorative justice to us, our souls, and back to God. So when we read the Sermon on the Mount, we have to read the Sermon. Remember, this isn't just about us. It's not just about us. Because when we treat it like it's about us, we read the Sermon and we admire it for idealism. Like, man, that's a good idea. That would change the world, wouldn't it? And then we just go back and we return to our normal lives. But the Sermon on the Mount is about Jesus himself. It's the blueprint for which his own life is going to be lived out. And he asks nothing as of his followers that he hasn't lived out in example and shown us. The Sermon on the Mount isn't about just how to behave. It's about discovering the living God and the living, loving, and dying Jesus. And we're learning to reflect his goodness in the world. So I have to be reminded of that. What is this sermon? What's it about? What's he getting done? Aren't we chosen? Yeah, we are chosen. We're chosen to show the goodness of God. That he's a loving God and he gets to invite everybody into that. So with that being said, love our enemy. Got to take him seriously on this. Love our enemy. First we have to acknowledge this is going to be difficult. This is hard, isn't it? Anybody in here just really good at this? No. We're not all that good at it. But Jesus says, if you love only those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? He's saying loving people who already are easy to love is not that hard. And we have a difficult time doing that, don't we? People who already love us that should be easily lovable, we have difficult times sometimes loving them. Jesus is saying this should be really easy the other is going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. He's saying, even the people that you think are bad, tax collectors, Gentiles. So if you just think of the worst of the worst people, we're like, well, I'm pretty good because I'm not them. Even they love people that love them. He's saying, what's the reward in that? That's like participation trophy in baseball, three years old. It's like, you should, that's just easy. All you got to do is show up Jesus is saying this is something different and it's going to be difficult and it's going to take some sacrifice of time and money and comfort and there could be embarrassment and there could be ridicule. This is going to be hard because it's countercultural. It's different. We read it. We think we get it in our heads because it makes sense. Yes, we should love our enemy. And then we go on with our lives, not in agree with Jesus, and then go off with our lives without even living this out. But if we nod to agree with Jesus, it means we surrender to what he's saying, and we lean in, and we try to learn from him how to live this out. But it's so countercultural. Last week on vacation, Heather and I took a little kayaking trip, fishing trip. I know. It was fun, wasn't it? Yeah. So we got up early in the morning, we put our kayaks in the river behind the house, and we took off downstream, and the breeze is blowing at our back, and we're fishing, and we're looking at each other, and our country songs are sounding good, and we just, we love each other, life's good. And then we get to where we were going, and we turn around, and we come back. And now that breeze is a little worse, because now it's in our face. It's opposing us, and we have to kayak upstream, and it's no longer all that fun at this point. And I thought, man, thinking about this message, I'm like, that's kind of how it's like when it's loving our enemy. Like our culture is moving in an opposite direction. If you try to love your enemy, everything else in our culture is discipling you in a different way, underscoring so many other things, trying to validate hate and anger, and everything else but loving your enemy and validating that. The culture is moving against you in every way. So many things that Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount – It's totally countercultural. It's why it's hard for us to wrap our heads around it because everything else that's discipling us is telling us not to do this, but the one that we need to look to for our discipleship is Jesus, and he's telling us to love our enemy. It is hard. It's countercultural. What do we do? We tend to justify doing anything to our enemies except love them, which only does harm to them, and whether you know it or not, it's doing harm to you. But loving our enemies is not just good for them, it's good for us. And I promise you, nothing will transform you more than loving people that you don't like or that doesn't like you. So, how do we do that? Like, how do we love our enemies? What does it look like for us to do this? Because it's not optional. Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for them. Pray for those who harass you so that you'll be acting as children of your Father who's in heaven. So one of the ways I think the best way that Jesus is saying how to begin to love your enemy is to pray for them. It is a great step. When I say love your enemy, that feels so huge. We don't even know how to, like, what do we even do? Here's a great step. Start with prayer. Pray for your enemies. Last week in Brian's Good News statement, he said, Love means to will good of another. And one way to know that if we're willing good of another is what our minds are doing in that and how we're praying for them. A great practice to say, how am I going will to will good for another is I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray for peace, for blessing. That feels weird. For protection and so on. This commandment to love our enemy requires us to do something. This isn't just like this intellectual endeavor that we have to convince ourselves over and over i got to love my enemy, i got to love my enemy, that's what I should do. We have to do something. And prayer is a great thing to do. What can I do? I can begin to pray for them. And Jesus knows this isn't easy. He lives it out all the way to the cross. Even in death, he says this, Father, forgive them. He's interceding on our behalf. In that moment, he's still got his enemies on his mind. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And then he lived all of that out. Every bit of it. He shows us how to do it in every situation. But we begin with prayer. And we often think that uh, this idea of enemy, that when we pray for them, it's just good for them. And you've picked up on this in our good news statement. It's not just good for them. It's good for you. He's built this in. It's actually, I think, the bigger thing that takes place when you love your enemy is it begins to transform you. This is good for us. Because what we do when we love others that don't like us or that are our enemy or that we don't like, we get to lean into and see that this love that's not of this world, it's not something that makes sense. It's nonsensical. To love others that are lovable is easy. To love those that are not is hard. This is the type of love when Jesus says, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We get to access a kind of love that's not of this world. This is something different and unique. It's nothing less than the heart of God that we'd see displayed on the cross. And when we lean into that, we access that. And it has the opportunity to transform our lives. This is a beautiful thing. Jesus isn't just saying, be good, love your enemies. He's saying when you access the love that I've accessed for other people, it will transform your life. We're literally learning from Jesus how to live like Jesus and love like Jesus in this world as new humans as if Jesus were me. You tend to justify doing anything to your enemies except love. Which only does harm to them and to you. But loving your enemy is not just for them. It's for you. And I promise you nothing will transform you more than loving those who don't like you or that you don't like. N.T. Wright says, the rule of love, I say again, is not an optional extra. It's the very essence of what we do, what we Christians are about. We'd agree with that, right? We hear that statement and go, man, that is who we are, people of love. To everyone, yep. At all times, yep. In all situations, yep. Even in the nonsensical ones, yep. We take Jesus serious. If the point is love, then the point is love. It's who we are. And when we love people that aren't like us, it transforms us from the inside out. Now, I say this pretty emphatically. And I think you guys are sitting there like, man, he believes this. He must live this out every day perfectly. I do not. I'm still learning how to do this. In this particular case, uh, with this enemy of mine, that happened the summer that I gave my life to Jesus when I was 19 years old. And something began to transform in me, and I began to learn from Jesus what he was saying about loving our enemies. And it began to transform how I thought about this person, how I approached this person, and it changed some things. Today, we're best friends. No, we're not, actually. (laughs) Like, man, that's a miracle. No, we're not best friends. But he's not my enemy anymore that I know of. I don't hear bad things come out of his mouth. We're cordial and have conversations, and it seems like we get along. But what happened isn't like, oh, my gosh, look how it transformed this person, which I do think my response did do something for this person. But what I know more than anything is it transformed me. And here's one thing that I believe. When I decided not to pee in that seat, (laughs) seriously, I think something happened within me. When we make choices not to lean into evil, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, something transforms in us. When we surrender to God's love, in even little moments like that, we begin to be more like Jesus. It's why we have to be aware of his work and his presence in our life. It's why we have to be tuned into his spirit. It's why we have to take these words serious. Even though they're hard, when we begin to move back against the culture and we lean into what Jesus says, something transforms within us. Many of you guys know my childhood. The, the abuse and things that we dealt with growing up, man, I will promise you, the fundamental foundation of my life is built on this idea of forgiveness and grace and loving those that seem like your enemy. And when I began to lean into that early on as following Jesus, it did something foundational for me. And it's still hard to live this way But I know the difference that it makes in my life when I surrender to Jesus. And I know the difference of seeing evil and wanting to repay that so badly with evil, but pushing back and repaying that with love and the difference that that makes in someone else's life and the difference that it makes in my life. So when I read this, I want to take it seriously. I want to surrender to what God is saying here. So what does that look like for you? Do you have an enemy? Maybe you'd say, I don't really have any enemies. I don't want to pee in anybody's seat. There's nobody I'm thinking. You have somebody that you really, when you see them, is there a group of people where you're just like, ah, those. Those might be your enemy. People that just really get under your skin, maybe that's your enemy. And when you pray for them, your heart begins to transform. It's an action that you can do. What can I do? I can begin to pray for them. I can will good toward them, pray for their peace, protection, understanding, to know that God loves them just as much as he loves you, and that when you lean into enemy love, you're accessing that same type of love that God is giving to every single one of us, but we have to surrender to it. That's what we have to do. We tend to justify doing anything to our enemies except love, which only does harm to them and to us, but when, when we love our enemies, it's not just for them, it's for us. Nothing will transform you more than leaning into and loving someone who doesn't love you because you're accessing love at the highest level. Loving people that are lovable, easy. Loving your enemy, you have to access a whole nother kind of love that's out of this world, and the only person that you can access that with is surrendering to Jesus and the love that he's given you. So let's just take time with that this morning. Can we do that? Let's bow your heads, close your eyes. And the first thing I want you to do is maybe just a prayer of surrender. And this prayer would be for you. And you might just whisper under your breath or in your mind or your heart and just let God know that you want What he wants for you. That's a great way to surrender to that. God, I want what you want for me. Which is goodness. Love. Grace. And then if you have an enemy in mind, you might pray for them in this moment. And it would be the same prayer. I want what you want for my enemy. Goodness. Love, grace, peace, protection. God, I want what you want for me. And I want what you want for my enemy. And I want to lean in and trust that. Father, this is really difficult stuff. Leaning in and accepting your goodness and your love, man, that is freeing to so many degrees, and it's so good to see how you're good to us and how much you love us, but it's so difficult sometimes to live out that same love that you give to us to other people. And often we feel justified because they've hurt us. We feel justified because they've opposed us. We feel justified because we see all kinds of things as to why we should or could hate that person or just... Be against them. But you have all those same reasons, Lord, as to why you shouldn't love us. Why you shouldn't have come and died for us and given us life and grace. And we have to look to you and your example and your life and surrender to that. And small choice by small choice, by one prayer, by another prayer, God, we're going to surrender and we're going to trust And we're going to let your love transform us from the inside out, and we're going to pass that love along to others, including our enemies. Thank you, Lord, this morning for a tough challenge. We ask this in your name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. You know, another thing that I'm grateful for about being able to come in here and have a church family like this is that we get to come in here and be challenged like this that I know that when I walk out of here and I'm trying to do enemy love, I'm not trying to do that by myself. I've got other people that are on this journey with me, that I know there's a rat pack of people called Meadow Heights that are making a difference in our communities by leaning into this love. And I love that we tackle hard questions like this. This is difficult stuff. It would have been just as easy to say, let's do worship song Sunday that day, we'll just skip that. I'll read that scripture at the top of the day and we can sing songs all day but we don't. We lean into it, and we own that we're not perfect in this, but it is worth it. It's worth it to follow Christ and all of his examples and everything that he does, including loving our enemy. I love that we have a place like this. We get to come, be together week after week, looking to see what Jesus says and try to figure out how in the world we can implement that into our lives, and it ultimately always comes down to surrender. What do I want? What do I want more? Right?